Are you hungry for the usual today? Or are you ready to spice things up with the new Nashville hot brisket from Firehouse Subs? We're kicking up our slow-smoked beef brisket with Nashville hot seasoning. It's topped with melted pepper jack and our sweet and tangy slaw served piping hot on a toasted cornbread roll. Yeah, a cornbread roll. Save time. Order your new Nashville hot brisket on the Firehouse Subs app today. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Oh, yes, we are back. Some might say better than ever. Who knows? We'll find out in about an hour or so. Mike Morgan, J.C. Sherbert on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Uh, J.C. Sherbert, a 24-7 sports. You know him. You love him. You know him from recruiting. You know him from thebigspur.com and several other avenues. You know his dog, Red, in the background barking. You know, everything about JC that there is to know. Uh, I also have a dog, Baxter, but he is going to remain silent, uh, I hope, throughout this podcast. And uh, let me start off by saying I I feel I always feel I feel two ways, JC, when I hear people saying, uh, hey, I I want another podcast. You know, you guys have been off for a couple weeks. I, I don't mind if people are angry about that, because that means. They actually enjoy listening to us. So by all means, uh, call us on the carpet on that. And me specifically, uh, I, I'll fall on the sword on this one. It's a busy time of year for me. Um, you know, really, there's not many non-busy times but during football, basketball, baseball, particularly late in the baseball season. Very often we're doing multiple games a week, multiple trips a week, and then the uh, postseason. So I was just uh, – in Chapel Hill last week, congratulations to Butch Thompson and the Auburn Tigers making their first World Series in 22 years. Had a chance to call that, and the week before that, I was in Baton Rouge at the box. LSU won that regional, and then, of course, they would bow out to Mike Martin and FSU in the Super. I know we don't talk a lot of college baseball here, and I don't want to deviate too much from the norm, but I will say this. It's a really good field for Omaha this year. If you like the big boys, nothing but Power 5. And uh, premier schools, a lot of which are actually good football schools as well. In fact, somebody on Twitter had a unique take, JC. They took the eight teams from Omaha and did a playoff with those eight teams if they were playing football. <laughs> and, he, and he had Michigan beating Auburn in the championship game, which I thought was kind of cool. So sometimes football is still on the minds of many. So um, I, I want to get to a number of things. Uh, we're not going to we're not at the point yet. We're not desperate enough yet where we're going to start breaking down everybody's schedule, right? I mean, that's what it, you and I both did sports talk radio in the days. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about it, about the fact that when you're doing sports talk in the summer, you're just trying to fill essentially two and a half to three months worth of time where there's nothing going on. So you no longer have basketball. You no longer have baseball. Yeah, you can talk football. We you always get that respite with SEC media days, but there's still nothing newsworthy that typically comes out of that either. No. So we're not gonna we're not gonna have much hard news until August when teams are practicing, and even then, that's when you just hope the only news is not bad news with somebody tearing up an ACL or an Achilles or something. So uh, it's in that quiet storm, but you and I always seem to find things to talk about. So with all that, I say hello and welcome. 
Hello, Mike. Welcome. Um, welcome in. Uh, I'll, I will say that and repeat that for you as well. Uh, you mentioned the baseball. Uh, I want to point out, uh, not necessarily because of football, but at Auburn and Texas Tech, they both have to be kind of over the moon about men's basketball and baseball this year. In the right. same calendar year, Auburn makes the Final Four for the first time in school history. Texas Tech plays for all the marbles. And now these two programs are right back uh, out there in Omaha and chasing the uh, the College World Series championship. But, yeah, it's an excellent field. Half the field is made up of uh, SEC programs uh, with Arkansas, Mississippi State, Auburn, um, and uh, Vandy in the field. Uh, and then you have Louisville and Florida State from the ACC, Texas Tech from the Big 12, and the, the Big 10 <clears throat> makes some noise there too, uh, getting in there with Michigan. Uh, we continue to not see Pac-12 teams do very much this uh, academic year. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very well-intended <laughs> point, which goes back to our bigger issue with the Pac-12, which is – they got to start becoming relevant in a, in a few more things, don't they? It's disappointing because the, you would think baseball, with most of their schools being, you know, located sort of in the Sun Belt or, or you know where there's nice weather, and Oregon State, I think, won the whole thing last year. Um, the Beavers did, and they're not in the field. And then UCLA really had a, a historically good baseball team this year. Mm-hmm. And yep. then the Wolverines went out and knocked him out. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, didn't Michigan eliminate a really good Vanderbilt team in the regionals one year when they were a number one overall seed? So you wouldn't think like yeah. a school like Michigan would be a tough out in any sport. Right. They're usually a power, but boy, in baseball, they're kind of the the overlooked squ- overlooked squad. Eric Backich, I think, is the coach there and does a really That's good right. job. But uh, yeah. Heck, hail to the victors for for making it out to Omaha this year and knocking off a really good UCLA team. You know, it's the first time the Big Ten has been in Omaha since 2013, and I remember that well because I called Indiana knocking off Florida State in a Super Regional to advance. And before that, it was 1984 Michigan with Barry Larkin. Now, you go back into the 50s, and Michigan won two national titles. Minnesota was a power in college baseball. It's amazing how things change over the, the course of time. But there was a time where the Big Ten actually was really damn good mm. in baseball. Um, you mentioned UCLA. They didn't lose a series all year. And then they lose to a Michigan team. And I had that Michigan team, a game in the regular season. Their top two players are guys that were high school football studs, one of which his dream was to be a wide receiver for the Wolverines. And somewhere along the line, and he's athletic enough where he probably could have pulled it off, somebody told him, hey, kid, you're going to make a lot more money if you just stick with this baseball thing. And he's done it. And and Michigan's in Omaha. Um it's it's a great point you made with Texas Tech and Auburn, the the, the whole silliness that we used to hear about. Ah, we're a football school; we can't be good in anything else. I mean, it's just just such it's such uh, mind numbing thinking 
if you're the AD of a power five program, you should do everything in your power to be good in every sport, but particularly the power three, because that's what most of your fan base is going to follow and be passionate about as much as we love college football, which is king for most. The college football season itself is only a few months. So fans of any particular school, like JC, for example, you run a fan website. Those fans, they need something to like sink their teeth into the other eight months out of the year when college football games aren't being played. So (laughs) if you want to continue to have goodwill with your fans, it behooves you to not just be good in football, but to be good in the other two. And if you're being, if you're a disappointment in football, you really have the pressure of doing something good in the other sports. Otherwise your fans just get depressed and angry and bitter. And, uh, those sites, much like Twitter can be just a cesspool of negativity and spewing venom and and everything else. I'm talking about the message board angle of it, of course, not the material that you and your staff point out, put out, but, uh, no, it's it's been an interesting ride. We, we're now at the point we're under 100 days going into football season. And I'll tell you what story uh, right off the bat. And th- this broke a couple weeks ago. I was in well, they did the vote. The SEC ADs were in Destin. Well, that, that was about three weeks ago. I'm in Baton Rouge two weeks ago when it comes out on the wire. Hey, the SEC has voted to lift the ban for alcohol sales. So now it's basically up to each of the member 14 institutions, whether or not you want to sell alcohol at games. And this has kind of been predictable so far. So I'm in LSU at the time, and right away I'm talking to people there, and they're like, oh, yeah, you can bet this is going to pass here. Like, in other words, they're going to take advantage of it. Um, now, that doesn't mean the new AD is on board with that, but if you were to take a, I don't know, a straw poll of the LSU fan base, they're on board. The Auburn, the Auburn, uh, Alabama contingent, uh, not on board. And Georgia has said not on board as of now. Uh, I haven't heard of Florida weigh in on this, but the first one to actually come out and announce that it would sell beer and wine. It just happened today. Moments before we started recording, JC Kyle Fields going to be rocking the Texas A&M Aggies. Over 100,000 people go to their games, and over 100,000 can now buy we- buy beer and wine. This is not something exclusive to the big wigs and the suites. This is something that the general public uh, at designated locations, until the end of the third quarter of games, smart, hmm. uh, and in accordance with new SEC guidelines, you'll be able to buy alcohol Uh, It will not be sold by vendors in seating areas, and the number of beverages purchased at one time will be limited. So they're going to put the training wheels on this, and you're going to have to add security. And there's probably going to be something on the Jumbotron that says, if you've got someone who acts like a complete and utter jackass and can't handle their beer, just text so-and-so, and and security will come out there and take care of it. Uh, This, to me, is a long time coming. And this is from a guy that, honestly, I can go to a sporting event and not drink a sip of alcohol and still have a great time. But to me, I I don't need to be babysat. If I want a cold beer at a game, I should be able to get one. So kudos to the SEC for voting it in. Kudos to the schools that implement it. And I really think the financial aspect of this, JC, even the schools that are going to be reluctant to join in, 
financially, not to mention the fan. I don't know a fan base that doesn't have a strong contingent that would like a cold beer during a game. Mm-hmm. They're going to be vocal. I think sooner or later, more schools are going to be on board with this than not. And, and it's something that will certainly be talked about in 2019. I can see it um, sort of, I guess, uh, you know, being a norm or something normal uh, across the entire league. I, I think people are going to kind of do it along and along. I know Georgia said no, and I'll say this about Georgia. Um, a lot of people don't really understand this. They think that Athens is, you know, close to – the middle of the state and everybody that pulls for Georgia just drives a couple of hours to Athens on game day and whatever. Um, and, and they don't really get that. There are people coming from as far away as places like Moultrie, Georgia, down in the Southern part of the state, it's four or five hours that you have to drive to get to Athens and then traffic and everything else. And those folks that come from that far away drink and have a good time at the tailgate. And then they go and they sit in the hot sun most of the time for three hours during the game. They sweat it all out and everybody's fine. I mean, there, there are very few serious DUI type incidents and things like that. And it's always been kind of a, a, an amazing thing to me after a college football game. Because before the game, people in the, are in the parking lot getting hammered. <laughs> okay, and we're not just not, I mean, students are sort of a given, but adults are too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I always kind of thought that served as a good buffer because you're sitting there thinking about it, you know. And back when I used to go to tailgates and stuff, and I maybe get to one a year these days, but yeah, I'd have a little system. I'd go, I'd have six, seven beers over the course of two or three hours, something to eat. I'd have a nice buzz before I went and sat down. Uh, right before the game, game starts. And, and then even if it's not hot outside, you know, by the time the third quarter gets there, I'd probably have a hot dog or something, and I'd be good to go. Um, totally sober, you know, sobered up. And, and and I think that's the issue with, with in terms of the safety stuff, is it's not so much people are going to be sitting there drinking during the game. It's that they're not going to cut themselves off because they, they, they you know, they don't have to. Um and so that would be my my only real big concern is that college football is such a, like an event where people travel from long distances to go to games and catch up with people from all around these states in the SEC and et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, I think you, you have to just make sure it's a hard and fast cutoff at the end of the third quarter, you know, and, and I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, you're going to, you're going to train the, the vending people to recognize people who are too drunk to buy a beer. Boy, that's really going to – I mean, if, you, if you've ever met some of these vending folks <laughs> that work in these stadiums, I mean, they're, let's just say customer service isn't a strong suit of theirs. I mean, you're going to get give that person a power to cut somebody off that's had too much to try. I don't know about that. So, you know, there's always a little concerns. I, I, I'll i say this. Number two, Texas A&M, in the state of Texas, attitudes towards drinking beer and things like that, I think are, are what a little more liberal, I guess you could say. I mean, there's really not uh, a whole lot of barbecue restaurants and places like that in Texas where you can't go get a cold Lone Star anytime you want. Heck yeah. You know, so that's uh, that's kind of Texas. And, 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 and so I, I, I'm not surprised. Get that her done. On board, yeah. Um, and then number two, I, I, number three, we talked about baseball at the opening of the show. I think this is perfect for baseball. Because it's a different crowd. Everybody wants to go get a beer and a brat and watch some ball. Baseball and beer, it's kind of, you know, you get a sip of cold beer or two through some innings. It's slow moving. Cut them off after the sixth or seventh. Um, 
And I think, quite frankly, that sport, you know, could produce a, a good amount of revenue since you know, people keep wanting to cut it and kill it and all that good stuff. I think that could really help that sport uh, in ball yards around the Southeastern Conference. So if they want to kind of slowly move this in, you know, baseball, because you have these really nice parks and you have a lot of interest in that sport, baseball could be the right place to do it. Uh, I think it's an excellent point because it's easier to maintain at a baseball stadium that seats, and I realize some seat, you know, if you go to Mississippi State now, they just had record crowds for the Super Regional, 13. But your average regular season game, even at the big schools, the, the Mississippi States, the Arkansas, the LSUs, you know, maybe you, let's say you get 7,000, okay? 7,000 fans, uh, you can maintain, that. that is under your control. If you can't control 7,000 fans, you've, You've got bigger issues running a major institution. A hundred thousand football fans is certainly going to be more difficult. But again, that's where you know when you're when you're doing security for the, for large sporting events, uh, anything that that you put on in that realm, you've got to be able to have solutions for people that are unruly. And let's be honest, fans have been sneaking in booze. For as long as games have been going on, this this is nothing since since they, probably during prohibition, there were people taking their uh, their wooden flasks into games at uh, Harvard <laughs> Yale, you know. Um, so it, it's it's nothing new to have fans that are drunk. Uh, it's it, I don't get a chance to uh, go to many games. I can't remember the last time I actually went to a game and just sat in the stands as a fan. But I I have a vivid enough memory to remember when I was able to go to a few, and when I did. There was always people around my section that snuck in booze, that were loud and obnoxious, and that, quite frankly, very often were drunk. That is nothing new to anybody that's been to a college football game, and that's going to continue to be the case. And sure enough, something bad is going to happen to one of these knuckleheads, and then somebody will blame it on the rule. No, the, the, the people have been getting drunk before, during, and after college football games for as long as they've been going on. You might as well monitor it a little bit better uh make a few dollars off it i say a few in quotation marks they're going to make thousands of dollars off it and here's the other thing about it too and this is the pink elephant in the room sec schools realize like every other college football program realizes no matter how big no matter how premier the fact of the matter is it's getting harder and harder not to sell tickets not to sell tickets because people with money will buy those tickets. They like having the option of going. And if they don't go, they'll try to sell them. And if they don't sell them, they'll eat it. But that's okay. Because if you have enough disposable income, you don't worry about things like that. It's like the guy that spends a lot of money on a gym membership. Maybe he goes an entire month without going to the gym. You know what? He's not sweating it. He, he, he's got that covered. And the people that buy their season tickets, even if they don't go to every game, they got it covered. So selling tickets and finding a demand for people to buy tickets in college football for the major programs, and let's just keep it within the SEC for a moment, and this could obviously expand to a Clemson, to a Florida State, to a Texas, to an Oklahoma, if you want to just go uh, to the major programs across the country. The biggest, The bigger problem is – too many fans are not showing up. They're just not showing up. And it's not just the, you know, the, the worst game of the year where they're playing an FCS school. And No, 
a lot of them are just conference games. Maybe not the biggest game of the year, maybe not your in-state rival, but regular games that it used to be you never worried about empty seats. Now you do, even if the team is winning at a fair amount, because some people, quite frankly, love the experience of staying at home or watching with friends on a high-definition, flat-screen TV of 65 inches in a climate-controlled building with unlimited alcohol and clean bathrooms at your disposal. Mm-hmm. All those things have made it harder and harder to get 80,000 fans here, 90,000 fans there, 100,000 fans over there to show up and consistently fill all those seats. So at some point, you you can't fight that. Okay, TV's not going anywhere. The money from TV is not going anywhere. So why don't you go ahead and do your best to make the fan experience the very best? Okay, it's great. You, you put Wi-Fi in. That's nice. More out-of-town scores. Good job. But at the end of the day, you need to do better. And for a lot of people, that means, hey, I want my beer. I want my I want my my right to enjoy a cold beverage. I would do it if I was watching the game at home. Why can't I do it when I'm watching the game in person? Yeah, and, and you look um, at different schools around the league. I mean, the football stadiums, they're going to they're gonna add some amenities. It's almost, you know, you look at some of the plans, and, and, like, this is what I think will happen at a place like South Carolina, which is a place that you and I are very familiar with, um, in their football stadium at Williams-Brice Stadium. I don't know that they're ready to sell beer. I mean, we talked about the the customer service aspect of it. Believe me, I've been in that stadium before. I don't know that they're ready to sell beer like to everybody on the concourses to the general public during the game. But but what I do think they're going to do is they're going to expand certain special sections, sort of like a major like a like an NFL stadium or a major league baseball park uh, in the football stadium. Or, you know, you're going to have a couple of sections where, hey, you pay a little extra money for your seats in those sections. You get some, you know, special viewing of something, and they will sell alcohol. Um, I think that, you know, there's certain parts of certain stadiums where you can, you'll see them build beer gardens with, um, you know, tabletops and, and stools and, 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 you know, areas where they're going to sell beer out, kind of an outside party type deck at some schools. Um and you look in in Major League Baseball, and you and I have been to our share of Braves games over the years. You know, part of what makes it fun, Mike, is the is the you know you have things like a chop house or like a deck where you can go sit and watch and enjoy a beer or whatever you know out there at that stadium. Um, and and lots of the the pro model in that regard uh is ahead of the college model because I, I think for years people were just like people love their school they're going to come to their football games well no not anymore and you mentioned tv too and um that's a big deal tv television has gotten so much better uh and and i think that things like restrooms and concessions at at college football games have gotten considerably worse uh and the comfort just isn't there i, I think that you know a lot of people are like heck i'd just rather stay at home and and watch it that I don't have to deal with some, you know, kid looking at me like I shot his dog because he gives me, gives me a hamburger or cause my hamburger's cold <laughs> or, you know, I don't have to put up with, uh, you know, a line out the door and miss the third quarter. Cause I got to take a leak. I mean, it just, it's just, it, you know, it's just not worth it. Um, 
and I think college football in general will, will have to adapt that way. And, you know, we talk about the SEC a lot on here, and I know you work for the SEC Network. Um, and, and it's great that all the TV, all the games are on TV and all that. It's super. I mean, I, I think I don't know of anybody that's upset about that because if I, I want to watch Vanderbilt play Northern Illinois, I can bounce over to Vanderbilt, Northern Illinois, and watch that game on Saturday. I, I don't, you know, maybe I'm call me crazy. Sometimes I like to watch those games, right? Um, but you know, the start times. I mean, you're starting games in September against F- FCS opponents at certain places at noon. Um. And this has kind of been that way for years because, you know, they used to have the Jefferson pilot kickoff or, or whatever. But now, you know, you look at there's, there's most of the games against kind of the, the lesser teams are during the day, whereas, you know, previously they may have been at night. You'd have it on ESPNU or something like that, and it was kind of a cool night. Oh, let's go to, to a game or whatever. But you have all these different start times now too. Um, and I think that impacts attendance because people kind of get into routines and they want to sit in the heat and all that, and that's not changing. So the athletics departments, uh, before the crowds start being very sparse and noticeably absent, and you're right, it's not ticket sales. It's actual attendance. Um, you know, they, they need to start doing some things to get some, get some people in the door and have a better experience. Yeah, ticket revenues are doing just fine. I mean, the whole college model, when you think about it, it it's it's almost it's almost idiot proof. It's almost uh, impossible to fail because every year, thousands of people from these institutions grab a degree. Okay, they are pretty much there. There is a connection there to that school for life. Then you have the other thousands of people that grew up in the area, never took a single class there, but they grew up a fan of that particular program. They're fans for life. Those contingents are only going to grow with time. This is what college has that the pro game doesn't. Most people don't live in one city or state anymore their entire life, right? So you bounce around as a kid. And and so your your pro team that was your favorite team when you were six years old is not the one that you go to games when you're 30 years old. Uh, the college bond is stronger. And so uh, you're going to the, the fan bases that exist for all these schools. Not only are they not going anywhere, they're only going to multiply with time. So you've got a built in demand. You've got a built in passion for these programs. That's why the money is where it is. Uh, It's outrageously high and it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But that doesn't mean all those fans are adamant about, I've got to have my rear end in that seat for four hours, whether it's melting in the hot sun for a day game or whether it's uh, being (laughs) stuck in traffic after a game and driving home at, at after midnight I always thought the sweet spot for me was a 3.30 game. I love mm-hmm. those CBS games because you get a chance to sleep in, maybe do a little tailgating on a nice day, enjoy the game, and then your night's not crushed. You can still go home at a decent hour, maybe have a good meal with your family and friends, and call it a great day. That That's the sweet spot for me. But again, uh, it's all about windows. TV wants your early windows, your 12 o'clocks, your 3.30s, your nights, and that doesn't even include the West Coast games, which is a whole other issue that the Pac-12 better address. One of the many issues the Pac-12 has to oh, address. Uh, if they're ever going to get out of the abyss, 
Um, it, it needs to start with their, their TV network uh, and, and then go from there. But anyway, I, I think it's interesting, and I, I think that, um, I, again, I'm all for, of course, I'm kind of a, when it comes to these kind of issues, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm kind of a libertarian to begin with. Um, I, I don't need somebody to babysit me on whether or not I can drink, on whether or not I can gamble. Uh, and I, I think we're leaning in that direction on both fronts. But, but I, I think the bigger thing is they're not, they're not doing this because they think it's inherently right. They're doing this because they're in survival mode. And I don't mean survival like they're going to turn the keys out on the <laughs> athletic program if, uh, if fans continue to dwindle at 5% this year, 10% next year. But it's discouraging. And I think one of the, the other thing is, too, forget about money for a minute. I, I – I like my college football games when I'm watching them on TV. There is nothing that can match a college football crowd. I mean, when, when you've got it packed and the fans are engaged, uh, that is a huge part of the ambiance. I can tell you as a longtime announcer, one of the best things that we can do as play-by-play guys is if the crowd is so good and a big moment happens – you know what the best thing I do is at that point, JC? Mm. I shut up. I, we call it a layout, and, and I don't say much of anything. And there, there is nothing better, nothing I can say can be as good as hearing 80, 90, 100,000 fans going nuts. If we lose that, that to me is a bad, bad thing. Because Forget about, again, money. Everything will be fine. It'll survive, but... It's just not the same. It's just not the same environment. If you got a bunch of empty seats, and, and there's not that that ambiance that that college football is so unique in, in what it can offer. So, I'm all for any solutions that keeps people going, uh, that keeps people excited about attending college football games and being a part of the atmosphere and the ambiance that that is college football. All right, let's talk to some about some actual things now that'll happen in front of the fans. I thought this was interesting, JC, just looking at a, a list here of transfer quarterbacks. I wanted to get your take on this kind of who's set up to succeed, who's set up to fall the transfer portal, which is, is garnered so much national attention. David Pollock just went off on it. Uh, talking about kind of the, the double standards where some kids like a Justin Fields gets the waiver on what is conspicuously suspicious story about uh, how he got it versus other kids that get denied. I mean, it, it, there's no there's no consistency. That's a whole other story that the one year sit out rule. But nevertheless, we, we, we're going to see this more and more now. College quarterbacks know that they've got a certain amount of window to prove what they can do for the next level. And if they're not playing right away as freshmen, they're just convinced now they got to go somewhere else. So look, listen to these names. Kelly Bryant, Clemson to Missouri. Justin Fields, Georgia to Ohio State. Uh, Brandon Winbush, Notre Dame to UCF. Jalen Hurts, Alabama to Oklahoma. That highlights, that's kind of the fab four, I guess, if you will. Tate Martell, Ohio State to Miami. Uh Ben Hicks, SMU to Arkansas. Riley Neal, Ball State to Vanderbilt. Sean Robinson, TCU to Missouri. Jordan Travis, Louisville to Florida State. And there's a few more that I won't get into. But as you look at that list, who are you expecting big things from? What's a good fit? 
and maybe I know how you feel about Tate Martell. So let me, <laughs> let me just, <laughs> let me, let me put that one in a separate category, but maybe who are some guys that you think are going to have some issues? Maybe it's not going to be the grass is greener uh, on the other side, if you will, for some of these guys. I think Kelly Bryant, you know, with a Missouri offense that does have some people coming back, um, that does have some parts in place, is a solidifying guy. I don't know if he's going to be a superstar in that offense. He may be. I mean, um, obviously he's going to be able to run it a little bit better than uh, Drew Locke did. He doesn't have the howitzer for an arm, but he's good enough. I mean, he's good enough at throwing the ball. Um, I would tap the brakes if I were Ohio State for a little bit on Justin Fields. Justin Fields is going to be an excellent player. He was a heck of a quarterback prospect. But, man, you know, after spending one year in one program, you're up at a spring practice in another. I mean, no matter how good Ohio State's personnel is. Uh, and I've got some questions about that offense, too, Mike. And, and what, 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 if they do what they tried to do last year, which is basically chuck it all over the yard and go air raid like they did with Dwayne Haskins, you know, I don't know that that takes advantage of Justin Fields' skill set as well as, as as it could. I mean, I think that he's a guy that needs to get out and use his legs some, sort of like most of the Urban Meyer quarterbacks um, over time. Um, so, you know, you, you think it was a good scheme fit, and, you know, I, I tend to believe he has a chance to be a special player and certainly was a big pickup for OSU, but uh, – you know, to be determined there as far as the immediate impact. Jordan Travis, Louisville to Florida State. And I think you look down there at that situation, um, you know, they they took a lot, they took several guys at quarterback. I think Blackman's going to be the quarterback this year. Um, and I'm interested to see how he fits in with uh, what Kendall Bryles likes to do on offense because I think that's, that's something not a lot of people are talking about. But – Kendall Browse is a heck of an offensive coordinator, and FSU still has athletes. And so I'm looking forward to seeing kind of how that works. Wimbush, I think, will be tremendous at UCF. Hurts at Oklahoma. You know, people can say what they want about Jalen Hurts, and certainly he's not the passer that Kyler Murray was, but he, he is a good pass. I don't think he's a bad passer. I don't know that he's outstanding. Um, and you get another guy in there that's a winner, that's that's won a lot of games as a starter, that uh, Lincoln Riley is going to be coaching up. And so we'll see what what he can do. That may be the, it'll be the third transfer quarterback uh, in a row the Sooners have had. So uh, I want, one, of the, one of them that's kind of a little under the radar, also at Missouri, is Sean Robinson from TCU going out there. Uh, keep an eye on that kid down the road. And uh, I know that the folks at Vanderbilt, too, are pretty excited about the prospects of Riley Neal taking over for um, Kyle Shermer uh, last year. So those are things. And uh, one more, Arkansas, the Ben Hicks kid, all-time leading passer in SMU history. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you you think he's going to come in and help that position for Chad Morris and the Razorback? I think so. It can't be worse than what it's been. No, so yeah, I mean that's a that's a low low risk, high reward type of deal. So Arkansas had a you know a period in time through multiple coaches where they had quarterbacks that had some pretty doggone good ability, going all the way back to Clint Sterner, and then all of a sudden they just hit a rut. <laughs> They've had guys that just don't look the part, don't play the part, and I know they don't have a, a great. Uh, 
surrounding cast over there, but I, I just don't think it's been um, a, a position that they have recruited fairly well in Fayetteville. And obviously now you've got a, a coach, unlike Brett Bielema, who can sell you on his system better. That's for sure. You know, if you're if you're Brett Bielema and you're going in living rooms and you're saying, we got the best three yards in a cloud of dust offensive line that you're going to find in college football and your son can play under center for it and hand the ball off. That that was that was not necessarily the best recruiting tool. Uh, Chad Moore should be able to get better. Arkansas should be able to get good quarterbacks. It's it's defensive players that they've really struggled. And we've documented that a number of times. I'm fascinated by a number of these. I'm fascinated by Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Jalen could go out there and throw for 3,500 yards and 40 touchdowns. And people still might say he ain't Baker and he ain't Kyler because those two guys were the number one overall pick in the draft for a reason. And it wasn't just the system. So yeah, I think Jalen Hurts is going to do some good things, but I don't think he's the same ability. I just don't think he has the same ability. The argument is, well, he was held back in a Nick Saban offense. I don't know. That Saban that offense hummed pretty well when Tua was out there when he was healthy. I, I just I think Jalen Hurts is going to do good things in Norman, but the moment he has a bad game, it's going to be a wow. This kid's good, but he ain't Baker. And he ain't Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Those guys just don't come around very often. Uh, and I, I, you know, if you just took Jalen Hurts and put him in an individual combine with Kyler Murray, maybe there'd be some similar stuff. But I, I don't think he throws the ball like Kyler. Kyler is ridiculously accurate. He wasn't just an athlete that could run. So uh, that one will will be very interesting to me for sure. Uh, I'm fascinated by Kelly Bryant staying with his decision to go to Missouri. I I love what they have at tight end, got an NFL tight end. Um, I don't know. It's still going to be Missouri in an Eastern division that's getting better and better and better. So that could be a, a humbling experience. You're following Drew Locke, who played like a first round draft pick even when his team was was not that good but i mean kelly bryant does not have a drew lock arm very few people do and then of course justin fields at at, at ohio state have no idea there like we know we're dealing with it, it, it in some respect with kelly bryant and jalen hurts uh, i'm not breaking down justin fields high school film to project what he's going to do in columbus but i, I know one thing it was not a great look the way he left Athens in a number of different ways. So I hope for his sake that he comes through with flying colors because uh, Ohio state fans will turn on him in a New York second as well. They had a pretty good dude under center in the shotgun. I don't know if anybody's under center anymore uh, last year in Haskins. And, and I don't know if Justin Fields is going to be like Haskins in year number one. So I, I think it'll be fascinating it's going to be one of the major storylines. And again, you don't win in college football unless you have good quarterback play. This is not the uh, Tom Osborne Nebraska teams of the 90s where you just run all over everybody and you got first rounders on defense. You win national champ. You, you got to have good quarterback play. You just simply do if you're going to have that kind of season. Speaking of good quarterback play, CBS ranked the quarterback in tiers. And I, I find this interesting. So number one, the, the number one tier of the top five, I don't think many people would argue this one, Tua, Trevor Lawrence of Clemson, Jake Fromm of Georgia, Sam Ellinger of Texas, 
and Justin Herbert of Oregon. Got any issues there? No, I think uh, all all five of those guys are really good. Um, I think they're different levels of you know upside. Good, uh, you know Trevor Lawrence and Tua. I think could be the number one picks in the draft one day. I think Fromm could be a top three round pick, and Justin Herbert. They're talking. I know the pro scouts love him, but they're all kind of different types of guys. But no, nah, I think uh, I think that would probably be it. I mean, you you can kind of debate three through five, but I don't think you can debate one and two, and uh, unless you're de- debating which one should be above the other. And I think that that certainly is a debate that we're going to hear all year long in college who, who, football. Who in that group, put your recruiting hat on here for a second, who in that group was the lowest recruit? I mean, they were all highly touted, right? Who was the lowest of the bunch? I think Joe, Justin Herbert was the lowest rated one. That's right. He was not that highly recruited, was he? No. I mean, he, he was, He was. I think, a three-star kid, but uh, certainly wasn't. Not, he didn't have the recruiting hype of the other ones. I mean, Ellinger was an in-state kid from – Texas that uh, Texas got and was a big recruit for them. And then, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin – or Trevor Lawrence was, you know, a top two player in the country and Tua was a top 15. So, yeah, they were they were just about all highly – I mean, and now Fromm was kind of in the in the 100s, like 80 to 100 type guy. Right. Um, but that was – yeah, that was about it. And, and some scouts now are – saying that he could be a, a first rounder they they liken him to andy dalton you know he, again not he's not going to be a combine wonder with his arm strength but but good enough yeah. uh so there's your top five here's the next tier now this tier is a little bit bigger this is 10 guys d eric king houston mason fine north texas adrian martinez of nebraska ian book of notre dame Jordan Love of Utah State, Utah State. Kellen Mond of Texas A&M. K.J. Costello of Stanford. Cole McDonald of Hawaii. Nathan Rourke of Ohio. And Brady White of Memphis. Any thoughts on those those 10 in Tier 2? Well, that, that to me, that's just, you know, pandering to non-FBA or non-Power 5 quarterbacks. No, nothing against Jordan Love and... Uh, Derek King, who's an exciting player, and Cole McDonald. I mean, the Hawaii quarterback usually is going to be one of the better passers in the country. You can mark that down. I'd like to see how many years it hasn't been that way. <laughs> um, you know, O'Rourke, Nathan Rourke's a good player. Interesting guy in Brady White. You know, Brady White was a highly recruited quarterback out of California that committed to Arizona State out of um, – out of high school, and then Mike Norvell, of course, who's the head coach at Memphis, used to be the OC at Arizona State, and then they decided to blow that up and go with the Herm Edwards experiment after, you know, the the head coach got fired, and and that was a good landing spot for Brady White in Memphis, and he did a good job last year. So I I don't know. You know, I've never been a huge K.J. Costello fan, uh, but, hey, you, you can't argue with, the numbers he put up last year for Stanford, he's got a big arm. Um, Ian Book, uh, you know, obviously came in and supplanted Wimbush last year and changed their season around Mike offensively. Just didn't really do much. When, when, they, when they played a team like Clemson, you know, the, to me, Notre Dame's entire high-end talent level, athleticism, things like that, needs to be start to be called into question a little bit because, I I mean, it just seems like every time they play a team, 
that has talent, you know, it's speed and things like that. They just they don't do much. But um, certainly like Ian Book as well. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, some of these guys play this coming year. Adrian Martinez uh, is a guy definitely I've got circled out there year two of the the Scott Frost era in Lincoln. Uh, they could make a jump. It's funny when you mentioned Notre Dame, uh, you're absolutely right. They've been they've been taken to the woodshed way too many times when they actually get the opportunity in whatever system, whether it's the BCS or now the playoff to, to play for the title. And you, then you're just reminded, OK, it, it's not it's not 1988 Lou Holtz like it's it's Notre Dame, but it's not. We get all excited when Notre Dame puts up an 11 12 win season and then they get to the postseason and then it's like yeah they're not they're not there they're not in the elite as much as people want to put them in the elite and i know they're good for ratings i know they're good for they got a fan base all over the world but they never come through i mean i don't even mean just win or lose they're not even like competitive in a lot of these games yeah and i don't i don't understand that at all either and 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 the last guy was from a quarterback standpoint that everybody loved was what Brady Quinn and, and that NFL career lasted all of 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, maybe, maybe Mr. Book is different or maybe he's Brady Quinn 2.0. Who knows? All right. Final tier, tier three. Now this is where you're going to see a lot of power five names. Shea Patterson top the list. Now Shea Patterson to me is the ultimate swing guy. If Shea Patterson ever plays completely like he's capable of, and if Michigan ever plays the way they're supposed to play under Jim Harbaugh, he might go from Tier 3 to Tier 1. Charlie Brewer of Baylor, Brock Purdy of Iowa State. What a program that, what a story they've been over there in Ames, Iowa the last few years. Bryce Perkins, Virginia. Nate Stanley, Iowa. Jake Bentley, South Carolina. Kelvin Hopkins, Army. Felipe Franks, Florida. Boy, I... a couple years ago, I wouldn't have put him in the top 20 tiers, but now all of a sudden they've got him in tier three. Joe, Joe Burrow of LSU. Joe Burrow. Threw for 2,894 yards, 16 touchdowns, five picks. You know what? That's all LSU needs. Ryan Willis, Virginia Tech. Stephen Montez, Colorado. Zach Thomas, App State. James Blackman, FSU. James Morgan, FIU. And Caleb Evans, the mighty Warhawks of Louisiana Monroe. So there, there you're seeing, uh, you got what three SEC names in there? You got a couple of prominent ACC names in there, and of course at the top of the list, Shea ba- Patterson of Michigan in the Big Ten. So there you see a lot of tier three guys, and those tier three guys are going to determine whether or not those big programs have the kind of year that everybody's going to be excited about, or those tier three guys are going to falter, and it's going to be what the hell's going wrong? Let's fire our coach. Let's go ahead and do this. Let's do that, because those are there's some programs in there that have fan bases that are a little bit in angst and a little bit unhappy with the prog- progress or lack thereof. And so their security could perhaps rely on those quarterbacks I just mentioned in tier number three. Absolutely. I, I, you know, you, you mentioned Jake Bentley. Yardage-wise, through 3,171 yards last year, 27 touchdowns, 14 picks, though. And, you know, South Carolina's got a tougher schedule this year, and he'll be a senior, and so he's got to cut those down. I mean, six of those were in the red zone for the Gamecocks last year. Um, You know, you mentioned Felipe Franks. I I think Franks has a 
cannon for an arm. I'm still not sold on him as a passer. In fact, I don't know that I would have had him ranked above Joe Burrow. I say it like Ed Orgeron likes to say it. I notice that. You you can't help but sink it in the Coach O when you do that. Joe Burrow. Yo, yo, yo. Go Tigers. Um, you know, I like Ryan Willis from Virginia Tech. Goodness gracious, they had they were depleted by injuries last year. Um, James Blackman right here. I, I mentioned him. You know, he, he kind of had to come in and start when Francois got hurt. Jimbo's last year. Did some good things and bad things, like just like – Normal freshman. I mean, I, I'm intrigued. This this guy's six five, was able to go through a whole year as a starting quarterback. Did learn some from Jimbo Fisher. Now he's going to play for Kendall Browse. I'm very intrigued by this guy, uh, and to see how he does in a new offensive system. And then my boy James Morgan. I am going to toot my own horn. James Morgan, recruit. A uh, class of, gosh, what was it? 2015, last year, the last year I did rankings. Loved his film. Didn't understand why in the world he wasn't getting more offers. He's from Ashwabanon High School <laughs> in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Wisconsin passed. Minnesota passed. Everybody passed. Went to Bowling Green. Couldn't win the job there. Now he's at FIU. I was the only one that rated him four stars. He's you know, done some really good things down there for FIU. Um, and uh, really kind of can't wait to see what happens with him down there with Butch, you know, Butch Davis or Butch Davis, right? Butch Davis, yeah. Yes. Butch Davis is the head coach. Uh, I've, I've Don Strzok so, was relieved of his duties a while back. So many people call him Butch, you know, will confuse it. like Butch Jones down there, and then everybody's like, oh, he's a champion of life at FIU and all that. <laughs> but, no, he – um I was happy to see him emerge as the starting quarterback at FIU because he's one of those guys at the quarterback position, you know, as, a, as an evaluator, somebody that does rankings, I, I sort of took a flyer on at the end. And, you know, hopefully hopefully he's a guy that uh, may sneak in and get drafted or something uh, at the end of the day. There we go. That's the most FIU Golden Panther football talk you've ever gotten on this podcast right in my, there. In my life, actually. <laughs> yes, indeed. By the way, FIU-FAU, very underrated rivalry. They call it the Shula Bowl. Make sure to catch that. Uh, it'll probably be on the Internet somewhere. Okay, before we get into our final segment today, which we'll take a look back at the most disappointing teams of 2018 and kind of see where they size up for 2019, I do want to mention – uh, a proud sponsor of this podcast for a number of years, and uh, you're, you're listening to a proud client uh, when it comes to BP Skinner Clothiers. If you want to look your very best summer gear pretty soon, it'll be fall gear. It doesn't matter what season it is. It doesn't matter what you need, whether it's custom-made suits, shirts, pants, accessories. They have it all. And the best thing is, if you're like me, you don't want to go to some retail store, some chain store, have to deal with salesmen, all those things. Just go ahead and and check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. You can call them directly if you wish. Have Brent Skinner come to you. And when I say come to you, I mean I don't care where it is. You could be listening to us anywhere. He's got clients all over the country because when you're really good at something, word gets out. And people want to go ahead and take advantage of those services that you provide. And in this case, he provides the very best in custom 
men's clothing. So go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. It's bpskinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R, clothiers.com. And set up an appointment today, and Brent will come straight out to you, get you sized up, and before you know it, your stuff will be in your possession at your home, and you will look better in no matter what you do, whether it's for work or casual attire whatever the case may be. All right. I've been sitting on this for a while, JC, because <laughs> the last couple of podcasts, we just ran out of time. Uh, but I thought this was very interesting. So often, you know, this time of year, you get your magazines. I get my Phil Steele, I guess, Wendy's and Athlon. I think they still do their thing. Um, and you and you, everybody's got the same preview. But really, what, what are they doing when they make predict, predictions and projections? They're all looking at the same thing. What did the team do last year? How many returning starters do they have, and do they have their quarterback back? Well, ordinarily, that means a pretty good success, right? If you return your quarterback and you have 17 returning starters off a nine-win team, that means everything is going to go swimmingly. Not always the case. So this is a list I compiled of the 10 most disappointing teams of 2018, starting at number 10, Virginia Tech. Now, as you mentioned, injuries, huge part. Uh, they were preseason number 17. They barely made a bowl game. Uh, give them a reprieve. Injuries there. It could have been It could have been even worse, but that's number 10 on this particular list. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Got blown out by Texas Tech and Kansas State. They beat Boise in week three, moved up to number 15. They beat Texas, and then they lose to Baylor and Waco. Considered by many to be talented enough to win the Big 12, they finished 500, Oklahoma State did. He's a man. He's still above 40 now, like Gundy is. And at times, yeah, at times not getting enough of what they want there. TCU, look, a year removed from finishing runner-up to Oklahoma, never recovered after the loss to Ohio State, a game which they led. That was a lot of fun, that game. They lost four out of the last five, including to Kansas. Mm. Kansas, number seven, Arizona, Kevin Sumlin and Khalil Tate. It can't not work, right? I mean, that was supposed to be the marriage made in heaven. Uh, a trendy pick by many to win the Pac-12 South. They finish unranked. Louisville, I, I get it. It's not the same Louisville program that what it was when it was rolling under Petrino and then Charlie Strong had a good year there. But they lost nine straight games by an average of 50 to 19 <laughs> leading to the end of the Petrino era. Uh, yeah, they lost Lakeem Jackson, but they were still expected to be a bowl team. They gave up 44 points a game. Only Yukon and Oregon state gave up more. Number five, Miami. Remember the U was back. The turnover chain. What, what 10 of those start in year one under Mark Richt, orange bowl birth. Number eight, both polls preseason. They got punched in the mouth week one versus LSU. They squeezed out seven wins. There were still people saying once Rick finds a quarterback, the U will be back at an elite level. Then he retires Christmas week, mm. and nobody knows what to make of the U right now. Number four, Auburn. That basketball, baseball school, that is Auburn. The year before, they win the West. They beat number one Georgia, then number one Bama. Gus has them. Over a barrel, gets the contract extension, $49 million. Jarrett Stidham is back, NFL quarterback. They beat number six, Washington, in the opener, and then they lose to LSU. 
and then they get boat raced by Mississippi State, and then the clincher was losing to Tennessee, and they finished seven and five. That is mm-hmm. why Gus Melzon is perpetually on the hot seat at least every other year. Number three, Southern Cal lost a lot. Team that made the New Year's Six Bowl two years in a row. Uh, number fifteen preseason. True freshman JT Daniels, a quarterback, leaky offensive line, no running game, offense struggles. They go five and seven. First losing record for Southern Cal since 2000. Mm. That was one year before Pete Carroll took over. Number two, FSU. I'm just going to say one thing Willie Taggart. Number one, <laughs> what else do you need to know? I mean, they were blown out by Florida. To clinch the program's first losing season since 1976 and snap their 36-year-old bowl streak in the process. But somewhere out there in Tallahassee, Willie Taggart is strolling through the Chick-fil-A line like he invented the game of college football. (laughs) Not lacking confidence despite the lack of results. Number one, Wisconsin. Preseason number four, they got a first-place vote. They were coming off a 13-1 season. Paul Christ, horny book broke back. Jonathan Taylor, Heisman candidate. They lose at home to BYU. Why anybody schedules BYU if you want to win a national? Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. They get manhandled by Minnesota as they watch the Gophers dance away with the Paul Bunyan acts for the first time in 14 years. They've been a, a model of consistency in the Big Ten, spanning, excuse me, spanning a number of uh, head coaches. But for whatever reason, it did not work out last year for Wisconsin. And I'll just throw out some honorable mentions here, J.C., North Carolina, the disaster that was last year in Chapel Hill. Huh. Stanford, Stanford, disappointing. It wasn't Mich- bad, yeah. One thing good. Yep. Michigan State and Nebraska, of course, under Coach Frost. And I, I do think they'll turn it around this year in Lincoln. But uh, any thoughts on that uh, list of disappointing teams of 2018? And who's going to make the bounce back in 2019? Yeah, you know, expectations at Auburn this year because of their schedule and, and things like that are a little bit low, but I mean, then there's the hot seat talk with Gus Malzahn, who I'm shocked is still there. Not because he, I think he necessarily has ever deserved to be fired, but just because it's Auburn, you know, I mean, look, look at how many coaches have just got them. I mean, you know, the minute the program kind of slips or they have a bad year, they get fired period. That's it. And he's had a lot of, you know, eight and five ish, six and six ish seasons there. Uh, they did end last year on a big note up in the Music City Bowl, beating beating Purdue sixty three to fourteen. Um, you know, so we'll see how they do. You know, they open against Oregon and Dallas. Uh, I'm. It, it's tough because every year that I want to say Auburn will find a quarterback, Auburn will be good on both sides of the ball. Auburn will be a top ten team. Auburn finishes six and six, eight and four. Every time I sort of underestimate them a little bit, like Gus's first year as the head coach in twenty thirteen, they they surpass expectations. I wasn't as fired up about them in twenty seventeen, Mike, because they had that opening game where they they didn't look like they knew how to run offense against Clemson and lost fourteen to six, and then that wasn't the best Clemson team. Uh, that Dabo's had. It was a good one, but it was a playoff team, but it wasn't, you know, they were 12 and 2. Um, and then they go to LSU and blow a three touchdown lead. And then all of a sudden they start playing like gangbusters. I mean, they, they beat Georgia by 23, they beat Alabama by double digits. And then, you know, 
kind of came back down to earth. So, I, But looking at it, I think they will bounce back. I think Florida State could win seven or eight games. Uh, I don't think they'll go five and seven again. Uh, I think Kendall Bryles is an excellent offensive coordinator, and they will be imaginative enough to reverse the dumpster fire that was their offense last season because it was it was just brutal. Um, you know, Southern Cal, w- w- will they bounce back? I don't know. You have some of their players talking, openly speculating that Urban Meyer will be the next head coach there. And they still have Clay Helton. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. Louisville, I think Scott Satterfield eventually is going to make it back. Miami's intriguing because Miami, you know, they opened with Florida on August 24th. You know, so, so, so Miami and the Gators are opening before anybody else. And if they go beat Florida, that's a big start to the Manny Diaz era to me. Um, you know, Arizona, I don't know. <laughs> Even with Khalil Tate, I'm just like, no, I just, uh, you know, Kevin Sumlin. I just, Is there a coach whose stock has dropped as much as Kevin Sumlin in the last five years? No. Kevin Sumlin coming out of Houston was hot. I mean, red hot. And then even early on, you could say it was all Manziel, not to mention an NFL uh, offensive line. I think all five of those guys played in the league. But, but, but look, someone was the guy. He was the head coach when that happened. And, and you look at him now, he gets bounced out of there, and, and right away you can feel a difference with Jimbo. And then you go to Arizona, and you got a guy that just seems to be tailor-made for his offense at Khalil Tate, and they can't get on the same page. I mean, that, this has all happened really fast for a guy that, if you were to take in a poll five, six years ago, top 10 coaches in college football someone would be on some of those lists life comes at you fast <laughs> <laughs> i mean you i know, can't argue with that it, and, I, and i hate it because I, I i do think rich rod did some good things at arizona i think i, I don't think arizona is a terrible job i, I really uh, you know there have been some coaches that have gone there and done good work um and you know he did inherit khalil tate and and, and all that and i just you know, I don't know. You know, they, they, they were, and then there was the talk Tate was going to transfer. Like people were talking about him going to Auburn, which I think would have been very interesting. <laughs> but uh, he's very, sta- yeah. staying at Arizona. So we'll, we'll see what they do. TCU, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech. All three were definitely disappointing. Um, I'm with you. I watched that. I watched most of that Ohio State game, Mike, and. You know, they had the lead. They were playing well. They were playing like TCU. And then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. And then they just, you know, like you said, they lost to Kansas. That was, it was brutal. But I, I have, you know, I have a lot of faith in Gary Patterson. Um, I have a lot of faith in Mike Gundy, too. You know, Mike Gundy's been very consistent there. You know, has he ever gotten them to the point where, you know, they're going to contend, they're going to play for the Big 12 title every year? No. And do I think. With the the reemergence of Texas, that's going to be even more problematic. But they'll bounce back. Virginia Tech's interesting to me because I felt like Justin Fuente, when he was hired, that was the perfect coach for them to hire to replace Frank Beamer. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a more perfect fit uh, for a uh, for a program like because you know what what he has to do in recruiting with evaluations. 
Uh, that's just like what Frank Beamer had to do at Virginia Tech evaluation-wise. You know, he kept the defensive staff with Bud Foster. Um, you know, you, you kind of think he'd be a guy that would keep it, keep just keep it on rolling. And then last summer they started losing defensive players. They had guys quit. They had guys get injured. I mean, they were gutted defensively. Um, the positive thing I saw was in the Virginia game, you know, they're about to lose to Virginia, their rivals, for the first time in like 15 years. They showed a lot of resilience fighting that off and winning that football game and then coming back with a rescheduled game the next week, winning that. Because they were sitting at four and six and were about not to make a bowl for the first time in, I think, since the, the 90s. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, sometimes things like that can get your confidence going. Uh, one thing to watch is Clemson running back transfer Tavian Feaster, who was Clemson's backup running back, rushed for, rushed for 1,300 yards the last two years for the Tigers. Good player, former five-star back. He's probably either going to go to South Carolina or he's going to go to Virginia Tech. Um, with their schedule, if they do get a running back in place like him at Virginia Tech, which, I, and like I said, I don't know if he's going to go there or not, um, that could be big, and they could end up getting back on top of the coastal division, which is pretty much wide open. But uh, uh, I, I think I think it's a it's an important year for Fuente because he had two really good years. He won the division his first year, then another solid year, and then you got the down year. So we're on year four, and uh, I don't know that the expectation in Blacksburg is to is to have six to eight wins every year. You know, I, I, and you know he did more than that at Memphis. So uh, I'm not saying he's going to be on the hot seat or he's going to be a guy that gets fired or, or whatever. But I, I think if you're Virginia Tech here in, in year four, post Frank Beamer, uh, I think you you want that to start you know trending back because you didn't hire him to get to the military bowl. You hired him to to win that division and get the Hokies back at the top of the ACC. Virginia Tech. Frank Beamer spoiled that fan base and uh, rightly or wrongly convinced them that that should be a 10 win program just about every year. I, I don't know if that's realistic. Um, I, I don't know if, if that is going to be the case, but, but he raised the bar to that level before eventually there was a down cycle and he retired and the rest is history. But, you know, sometimes if Fuente took over the job right after Michael Vick left, they, Virginia tech was trending down a little bit. And the, the guy who got that job next was going to have to try and find the magic that Frank Beamer had for so long when he was getting all those kids from that Chesapeake uh, area and, and out recruiting Virginia every year and a lot of other programs in neighboring states. That's Sometimes you find kind of lightning in a bottle, and, and you, maybe you'll get it for 10 years, but that doesn't mean it's going to be there for a lifetime. So maybe the formula changes a little bit. But I, I still think Fuente is a good fit. When, those first few schools I mentioned – like Fuente at Tech, Oklahoma State with Gundy, TCU certainly with Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson is not going to be in a hot seat at TCU for the next 10 years. At least he shouldn't be, and I don't think he will. Um, those are in a different category than, say, Kevin Sumlin. Of course, Petrino fired, Richt retired, the Gus Malzahn hot seat every other year. Uh, there's not a hot enough seat for a second-year coach in the history of football than Willie Taggart's in Tallahassee. I don't think Paul Christ is on a hot seat at Wisconsin, nor should he be. The wild card in all this to me is still a Southern Cal, and, 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 and 
Washington is good and they got a great coach and it's a nice story. But if the Pac-12 is going to be truly relevant again, Southern Cal has to get at least close to what Pete Carroll had them at. College football desperately needs Southern Cal to step it up because I have no faith in UCLA to do it. I don't have faith in the Arizona schools to do it. I don't have faith in the Oregon schools. Well, I have faith in Oregon somewhat. I, let me, mm. I should say that. But I do think there's a ceiling there. Uh, and, but I think for Southern Cal, there's just no reason why Southern Cal can't be great in college football. Uh, so that's one that I think, uh, to keep an eye out, um, you know, there, it, certainly if things don't uh, go better, there'll be some changes there. Uh, even maybe perhaps with, with the AD and Lynn Swan, but, uh, but, but Southern Cal has been in a rut and that is the face of Pac-12 football at this point in time. The face has become Washington. It needs to be Southern Cal, and Washington needs to be your 1A. But instead, it's Washington, and then there's like a major chasm, and then it's like 2, 3, 4, take your pick. But uh, the, the, something has to be there uh, on the left coast and give people a reason to watch games at 10 o'clock at night in the Pac-12. But you just don't have that right now. And as far as North Carolina, Stanford's not going to make a move anytime soon. Michigan State, obviously not. And Nebraska's in a rebuild with Scott Frost. So most of the uh, the guys on that list are good coaches that had a down year. And it happens. It absolutely happens. And then there's, again, there's your, you know, your Willie Taggarts and, and other coaches that are no longer at those respective schools. Yeah, I, you know, you think about it, Mike. Um, it, it is interesting because, you, you know, at the bottom of this list, you did have – we have kind of a vacuum of, as far as coaches go, like big-name coaches. I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State, whoever hires him next. NFL. I mean, you know, yeah, if it's the NFL, wherever, it will be great. Um, other than that, you know – a lot of these guys, like you, like we mentioned at the bottom, you know, Fuente to me, unless the Oklahoma job comes open at some point, which it could, that's where he played ball. Um, he's at a great spot, you know. Gundy, I don't think is ever leaving Oklahoma State, no matter how many SEC schools interview him. And Patterson's never leaving TCU, and 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 those are two of the better coaches in the game, you know, Gundy and Patterson. So, I think it's kind of interesting when you kind of look back at last year. Uh, in terms of the overall coaching uh, carousel, hot coaches, things like that, that you know, up-and-comers, um, it was kind of one of those, you know, st- I guess a season of stall, I guess, for, for a lot of the coaches that are supposed to be up-and-comers. And a lot of the coaches that we thought were good, too, uh, or that were going to do something like Mark Richt, you know, wow, he's just out. So um, that was <laughs> that, boy did that star fall quickly. Yeah, I was like, wow, <laughs> that was like uh, it was like a nineteen eighties one hit wonder. That that's Kaja Gugu uh, with Too Shy. That is uh, oh gosh, that's Tommy Two Tone with eight six seven five three zero nine. That is the version of that with how quickly that went from this phenomenon a ten and zero. The turnover chain, and it's Mark Rick's homecoming, South Florida boy, and then that was it. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm gonna go join the ACC network. Uh, all right, man, that was fun. I just rem- I was reminded why I enjoy doing this so much, 
And I just reminded, hopefully, why a lot of you enjoy listening to it. And we're not going to take a long respite between now and the next one, we promise. We will keep you entertained throughout the summer <laughs> with College Football Podcasts. JC, for those that don't have this fine specimen of podcast history, how do they sign up? Well, you can go to iTunes or Google Play. Um, iTunes is going away, okay? Like the, the, the brand of iTunes, it's going to be called Apple Podcast moving forward. So, you, well, you know, I, I don't know when exactly they're going to do it, but I read about it. So Apple Podcast, you can get us on Google Play, the Stitcher app. SoundCloud, you know, a lot of just about anywhere you find podcasts, you could find us uh, for the JC and Morgan podcast. Uh, once again, we thank everybody involved, including BPSkinnerClothiers.com. For JC Sherbert, this is Mike Morgan. We will see you next time. So long, everybody. <laughs>